This meeting is being recorded. Hey guys, it's Kelly and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken Podcast. I am so thrilled to have Patty back on as a guest. We talked a lot in the previous episode and just unfortunately ran out of time. So um, by popular demand, I asked her to come back on. So how are you doing today, Patty? I am well, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me back. I am delighted to be here chatting with you again. Thanks for coming back on. I really enjoyed our first episode, and I think a lot of people really enjoyed listening to your story and hearing everything, so I think that's why I got so much feedback on you. You were like the most popular guest next to my husband, but my husband's pretty (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, I am happy to be a distant second to him. (laughs) Yeah, but you're number one in my life. So that's what matters. (laughs) So I know that we were talking and you had a specific topic that you wanted to talk about that we weren't able to talk about the last time and it was about feeling your feelings. Did you kind of want to expand on that? Sure, sure. Um, So just as a quick recap about me, I was sexually abused as a child and it was by my stepfather and to a lesser extent, my cousin. And while I was certainly always aware of it, it was something that I did not think about. You know, it was not discussed in my family. My mother and my stepfather divorced when I was 11 and he was out of my life. Um, And I really didn't think about it anymore. I I just, you know, like the problem was gone. And I think as you and I were talking about anybody with any kind of trauma, no matter what it is, or even just a lot of people, depending on the household they grow up in, it's very common not to feel your emotions. Like emotions Mm -hmm. are like, what are you going to do with them? There are especially like people like us um, that unfortunately had some kind of, you know, trauma. They're very difficult and it's, we just condition ourselves to push them away. We don't think about them. We don't feel them. They just don't come into play. And that was really how I kind of grew up and that was how I was conditioned to think and feel and I would say the only emotion I was ever really comfortable with was anger and that was always on display in my household so I was pretty yeah. comfortable with anger. anger is also a very mobilizing emotion right like you mm-hmm. get mad you can do something you you can it's energizing whereas grief and sadness and sorrow there's nothing to do but feel awful, right? And I was yeah. always afraid that I would drown in my emotions. So as I got older, um, I still never thought about my sexual abuse. I had a problem with my weight. I would gain or lose 50 to 75 pounds every two years starting in my late teens. And I did that for 20 years. And I am a great dieter and I would lose the weight and then I would gain it back and I couldn't really figure out why. And But that was really what propelled me into therapy was that I wanted to figure out what was going on with my weight and stop it because I avoided men. I didn't think I looked good enough. I had all these issues. And so I wanted to find love. So that was really the catalyst for me to get into therapy. Yeah. So I got into therapy and I started working with somebody who does EMDR which is really about, it's a, you know, where you're kind of taking what you feel in your body and what you feel in your head and making sense of it. And um, it was really then and there that I realized I don't feel my emotions. I don't feel Mm -hmm. anything. I shut down. And it took me a very long time 
to be able to feel and identify mm. my emotions. And as I said, my fear was always that I would drown in them, that if I let myself feel sorrow, I would, I would just never get over it. I would just be swept away by it. So it was a yeah. very scary thing for me to do. Um, but as I'm sure you know, too, the only mm -hmm. way you can really move past things is by feeling them, recognizing them, and letting yourself go with it. Like whether yeah. it be sadness, whether it be sorrow, whether it be grief that, and my therapist used to say to me, if you will just, if you can ride it out, it will pass through you as yeah. opposed to everything in your power to tamp it down so that it's always there. It never goes away because it's never resolved. Yeah. Cause I know for me, I struggle still a little bit. I'm getting a lot better, but I struggled the most with anger, but that was because whenever anger was geared towards me as a child it was with fists or objects and it, it was always very abusive and physical so it was like I felt like if I got angry then that's how I had to do it and I wasn't that type of person but then eventually I just bottled it up for so long that I would just like explode and I mean I never hit anybody or anything like that but I am Italian I am very loud and I'm pretty sure like people in Canada heard me yell, <laughs> but, and it is, it's hard because it's like, you're never taught how to feel. You're not taught the proper way to express emotions and feelings and things like that. So it is difficult. And I mean, I still work with my therapist. A lot of the times I have a really good friend and she's constantly telling me, she's like, wait an hour and see how you feel before <laughs> And one time I did that and the person was not so nice. And I'm like, I'm not listening to you anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's hard because it's even love. Like, I didn't know what it was. So when I was with my ex-husband, when he was abusive, I thought that was what love was because that's what my parents taught me. And then it's like, now I have my husband and I'm just like, oh, sometimes it was more towards the beginning of our marriage. But I was just like, okay, what do you want? Why are you being so nice? Why'd you buy me a present? Like, it's like, it was just so foreign to me. Yeah, and I agree. And I think, again, what we learn as children becomes our template for what we consider normal, even if it is very far from normal. And I think I was very similar to you with anger. You know, it's interesting. I had been in part of, you know, I had explored a lot of different kinds of therapies to try and figure out what kept me from men or men from me, because that was like the big you know, not that I couldn't crack. And so I had started an EMDR and I had always worked with my therapist, but I explored other things. I went through chiropractic care. I did group therapy. I went to a counselor, a sex therapist. Like I really minded it for everything it was worth. And in group therapy, which again was people who, you know, were sexually abused as children, women that were sexually abused as children, you know, it was interesting how many people are afraid of anger. And it, you know, like it's because it feels so big, it feels so out of control. And I would say one of my big issues that, again, I really couldn't figure out what the source of the problem was until I had been in therapy for a while was that I was so conditioned to never talking about how I felt because, again, mm -hmm. I didn't really recognize how I felt. So any hurt, any frustration, any disappointment would just build and build and build until like you, it would just explode. And I had, mm -hmm. while I did well at my jobs, I hated most of my jobs. And yeah. it was because I couldn't ever share how I 
felt about anything when it was small and manageable. So it's like it just builds up and builds up and builds up until you're like, I just fucking hate this, you yeah. know, because there's no release valve. And it yeah. was only years later that I had read where they were like, the, the one thing you take to every job is yourself. And that wow. was the problem. I, it was always me that I was taking to my <laughs> jobs. And I was always so unhappy with me. Yeah, I remember in my support group that I was seeing when I first escaped, um, the facilitator said, when you internalize your anger constantly, eventually it turns to depression and you start to just be sad all the time. And it was like, we did all these exercises during the group, like talking to people and expressing what we were angry about, but like we weren't allowed to raise our voices and, um, it's like, I can yell at my husband without raising my voice right now. I don't know how, but it's like, he's, I'm like, why are you laughing? I'm yelling at you. <laughs> but it is, it's difficult because it's like, I mean, you need to use them out in public and even at work, people don't know your story. They don't know where you came from. So it's like, you can't just unload on random people. So it is something you have to learn, but it's so difficult to sometimes. It, it really is. And, and, you know, one of the things I want to say about that is I, my mother was a screamer and my father, I felt like he was a bully. He was very loud and big. Um, and I don't scream, but I have had many people tell me how scary I am when I'm mad. And it's not because I'm yelling, but it's mm -hmm. like, there's so much energy in yeah. what I'm doing or saying. And it's, you know, it's, it's scary to people because it's the force of your anger. Even if you're not lifting a hand, even if you're not yelling. It's still yeah. just so visceral. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when I went into started working with a chiropractor, it's called chiropractic care. And it's like basically how everything that happens is trapped in your nervous system and in your spine. And and one of the things that, you know, I, I went to him for was like, we're stuck. I'm stuck in therapy, but I don't know about what. And it was really there where it was about I started to feel emotions and it was terrifying. And I yeah. was either very biting and mean to him because I was so like, you know, somebody had said to me, a very good friend had said to me, she was like, you know, there's, whenever you're like this, I think that you're scared versus scary. Like, and, yeah. and that's the thing when you're scared, a lot of people, it's very easy to be angry because it's a defense mechanism to like shield yourself. Right. Yeah. And uh, so when I started really in the chiropractic care, that's when I really first started to feel emotions. And, you know, the, the chiropractor and I had a lot of conversations about it because it was just so scary to me. And he had said to me, he was like, it's frightening. It's like learning to feel emotions. It's like an eggshell cracking and it's frightening. Like yeah. to suddenly feel all these things. And it is, it's scary. And it seems like it's sometimes it just hits you all at once. Like, a thousand different emotions and I'm just like sitting in my head like oh my god what is happening right now and I'm just like I sit in my head, I'm like I don't know what's wrong and I'm like crying and he's like why are you crying I'm like I have no idea I was like I, I, I just I don't know he's like did you see a turtle video or something I'm like no. <laughs> 
Well, and I think when I was in therapy and because we did EMDR, I mean, that kind of got to where I was too, where I would just feel things, but I didn't know why I felt them. Mm-hmm. And in EMDR, it was really helpful for us to be able to target whatever I was feeling, whatever the precipitating incident, which very often, as you know, like has nothing to do with, it triggers something in you, but it's not about what's happening then. It's about what it triggers in you, either what it reminds you of, what it feels like. And I think a good example of that is when they talk about um, servicemen and women and, you know, they have PTSD and it's like, because our, you know, a bomb or an IED goes off wherever they are, and then they come back and I car backfires and it's the same sound. So it feels the same to them, even though it's a very different experience. It's yeah. still true. Oh God, it was, my husband's a combat vet. And one of the places that we lived on the 4th of July, like it was just constant fireworks after firework after firework for like hours. And I think it's the first time I ever actually witnessed him in a flashback and he was just sitting with his arms, like hugging himself. And he's just like, Oh, he's like, why are people shooting guns? I'm like, no, babe, that's fireworks. It's the 4th of July. Like, come back from Afghanistan, back to the United States. That's where we are right now. But I do get it. And it's, we have, it's so dumb. I call them the dumpster people, but it's like the trash men. And you can see my window behind me, like right outside of it's the dumpster. And it's like, it's so loud when they dump it. And I don't know why it bothers me, but it's like, it wakes me up out of a dead sleep. And I just, I get so anxious every time I hear it, but it's like, okay, I know I'm being triggered, but it's like, what possibly could emptying a dumpster trigger? <laughs> you know? So it's like, I'm still working on it with my therapist. We still haven't figured it out, but yeah. And that's a, that's a thing is like, it, it can trigger flashbacks too. And then you're just trapped back in time, back in your trauma. And it's like, I don't know, it happened to me at Walmart once. And people were just like, are you okay? And I luckily had my service dog with me. So they just kind of left me alone. Yeah. And I feel like um, I've had similar, not similar. I mean, obviously our experiences are very different and, and what's, you know, triggering to us is very different, but I've definitely had things that have triggered me where it's evoking some other place and time. And it really is just trying to recognize that that was then, this is now, and you're not that same person anymore. You're not defenseless anymore. You can take care of yourself. You're at a very different time and place. Yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, so, and one of the things um, when we were talking about the whole feelings is that again it, it was a long evolution and a process for me to get to be able to first feel feelings at all then identify what the feeling was and then work my way through it so it's not like it happened overnight it was very gradual yeah. and it, you know for people who struggle with this like don't lose heart it's it's like anything else it's a skill right the mm-hmm. more you do it the better you become in it it's just like sharing your story doing it the first time I was in my forties before I told any of my friends about my past. And I had been in therapy for three years at that point. And I never told anybody because it was so shameful. It took me me 10 years to actually share my story for the first time. And now it's like when I do podcast episodes or my TikTok videos, everyone's like, Oh my God, you're so strong. And I'm like, yeah, it took a while to get here. (laughs) Don't think I did this overnight. Um, 10 years. Like when I, it's, coming up on 13 years now since I escaped. And it's like back when I first escaped, like 
if you said anything, I just totally just internalized it, hit in my shell. But it does, it takes a lot of work. And I think a lot of people want to jump the gun and just get there and get healed as fast as they can. And it's, they don't understand it. It's like, yeah, I do really well now, but even two years ago, I wasn't like this. It takes a takes time, you know, what's that saying? Time heals all wounds or some, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it takes a very long time. So I had told my first friend, you know, in my forties, and then I kind of went to my core circle and individually told them all over a series of months. And then I didn't tell anybody again for several years. Like it, it just, you know, and, and even that, I mean, for me to get where I am now, oh my mm -hmm. God, like I'm 55 now. So no way. Yeah. You are not in your 50s. Well, I am ancient, my darling. Yes. Yes, I am. I'll be 40 next year, but you don't look that much older than me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you look very young. So I'm going to take that compliment and just go with it. <laughs> I do not feel young. <laughs> my, my oldest daughter just turned 19 and graduated high school. So I'm just like, Oh, congratulations. Thank you. She graduated top of her class, National oh, Honor Society. Great. So brilliant. But it's like, I keep thinking about the 2024 election and I'm like, oh my God, both of my daughters are going to be old enough to vote in it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like trying to talk to them about like getting ready to vote and stuff. And they're like, mom, we don't need to know this. I'm like, unfortunately you do because you're old now. This is being an adult. <laughs> But it's just like, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. They're supposed to be babies still. <laughs> well, if you're lucky, time passes, right? And we know yeah. that's not true for everybody. So we're very fortunate that we're in a place where we were able to kind of move beyond what happened and yeah. move forward. Um, um, but so again, people should not lose heart. Like it's a skill like anything else, telling people each one becomes easier to the point where you can be like us, where you can talk about it and it's okay, it's normal, but it took a yeah. long time to get here. So, and I really do like to think it's like any other skill. You don't just learn to play the piano overnight. It takes lots of practice. Exactly. And that's with everything else. And that's with every part of therapy, learning to identify your emotions, learning to sit with them, learning to feel them and be okay with it and not be swept away with them. Yeah. And I have a really good friend that's a survivor as well. And uh we've been friends for over a year now and she always had trouble saying that she was sex trafficked so i told her like start saying it to yourself in the mirror and then every time we would hang up the phone i'm like just whisper it i don't even have to hear it and then each time she just said it louder and louder and now she has a blog and she has a TikTok account. I'm like so proud of her i tried to have her on as a guest but she got a little too nervous she's not quite ready for the podcast app or aspect of it but it is it does it takes time and it's like baby steps like you have to just take little tiny steps at a time so it's like i mean like 12 years ago the littlest thing could set me off and now it's like sometimes people like get me so mad and i'm just like blah blah blocked <laughs> my husband's like don't you want to yell at them? I'm like, you know, I really don't. But I did find out there's a place that you can work at where they hire Karens. So I might be applying for that job so I can yell at people. <laughs> but it, is, um, it does take a lot of therapy. And 
I've come a long way and I know a lot of other people that I've worked with have come such a long way, but it's, it's like, it seems like the people in the very beginning that I work with that have just escaped, it's like, they want to be where I'm at. And I'm like, you can't like, you have to work on things and it's a struggle well, but that's human nature though right because we want it and we like to be instantly gratified and we're in pain mm-hmm. and we understand what the issue is and we want it to be done when i started therapy i started therapy when i was 38 and when i started therapy you know i am a very pragmatic like why well, let's get the schedule let's figure out when we're going to be done i want to be working towards specific things i'm very goal oriented and you know i would ask Carl, when am i going to be done when am i going to be cured and she used to say to me she's like you'll be done when you're done and i hated it. Mm-hmm. I hated it. And had anybody told me that I would have been in therapy for 12 years, I would have said you were out of your mind. There is yeah. no way in the world. But you know what? That's how long it took for me to get to where I wanted to be. And everybody's goals are different. And the, that is not to say that anybody with a similar history would be in therapy for as long, but I wanted to really be able to have a healthy relationship. I, you know, yeah. there were things that were very important to me. And, you know, in terms of saying things out loud, so I had shared with you that my beloved cat, Olive, died in March and Olive was 19 and a half. So she had a good long life. Um, But when I got Olive, I really didn't think I was capable of feeling love until I got her. And, you know, I, I had lots of friends, but I led a very you know, monastic existence. I didn't go out with men. I, you know, I was very isolated and Olive was my world. And, and cats, you know, cats, for- cats are really good at demanding love too. It's like <laughs> my, my cat, John Snow, he, I mean, I was trying to take medicine and he's just bumping my hands. I'm like, I'll give you love in a second. Just calm down. Calm down. <laughs> yes. Well, she, I used to say to her that, you know, she was in charge from the moment that I brought her home. Like it's, it's her house. I just get to live here with her. Um, and she's amazing. And I really worried about what was going to happen when she was gone. Like, how was I going to take that? What, what was going to be the impact on me? Like, was I going to fall apart? And, you know, it's interesting that, so she passed away in March and, you know, I'm heartbroken over there. I, I miss her like mad, but I feel like in a lot of respects that because I was just able to really, how do I feel? I could sit with my sadness. I could grieve her. I could actually feel what I needed to feel. So it wasn't like I was swept away by it, but it's yeah. interesting. I ran into somebody this week who didn't know that Olive had died. And when she did die, like, obviously I told everybody that I was close to, but you know, you still run into people who are, Hey, how are you? How's Olive? And I was like, she died and saying it out loud. Mm. Honestly, I was sad all day. And it's because saying things out loud makes it real in a different way. Oh yeah, definitely. And I know it's, Oh crap. I'm trying to silence my stupid watch. I hit the wrong button. Um, but I <laughs> you know, know it's when I, when I first got my service dog while I was training him, like I was talking to him a lot and, um, I didn't really feel comfortable talking to my husband's. I mean, we were newly married. I mean, we got married in October and I got my service dog the following January. So it's like, I didn't, how do you tell someone you're sexually active with and intimate with about rapes and things like that. So it's like one time, God, my dog was just, 
I was talking to him and he just gave out this big sigh and I'm like, yeah, I owe you what, like $355,000 at this point for the therapy. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's, they do, they become such good companions. That's why I always suggest, like, I mean, my son with his autism has an emotional support cat, which that cat's crazy. He beats up my dog. And then if my son cries, he goes and lays with my son. I'm like, how do you, how do you just transition that quickly? <laughs> But it is my dog's on his last few months, and I, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to say it out loud because it's just—he's so old. Hey, but you know, so Olive had a good long life. She was nineteen and a half. But you know what? She could have lived to be a hundred, and as long as I was still alive a day after her, it wasn't going to be long enough, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's one of the things you learn when you get older too. It's not necessarily how long, because it's—it's never going to be enough. You know, you don't want them to leave. You know? Yeah. Um, but I, I believe that, you know what, she, the universe will bring her back to me. So I she found me in this life, she'll find me in the next one. So I know I will be with her again. And that to me is very comforting. That's good. At least you can find yeah. comfort in that. I'm so sorry. It's so devastating to lose a pet. You know, it's, it's just the worst. I mean, I, I always joke with my husband and say, like, I love my dog more than I love him, but I, I do because he doesn't snore. He doesn't talk back. And oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was unconditional love. And they, you know, she was the keeper of all my secrets, just as your dog was, too. You know, um, and I would say she was the most beautiful girl in the world. So if you're bored, go to my website, pattycabot.com, and Olive has her own page. Mm. And I also because she's gorgeous and you should see her and um i also wrote a newsletter about her after she died because she was amazing so she was yeah all ferocity like the most i used to call her my vicious little beastie girl because she was just ferocious but i (laughs) love that about her (laughs) yeah it's it's weird how like our pets kind of take on our own like their personality but it mirrors our personality in the same way so it's good to have pets. Not us, uh, I can't imagine. Like, I am so sorry you had to get, go through that. Sorry, my brain is broken today. I feel so crappy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it's like, they keep telling me that, like, I have allergies, but I've never had allergies my whole life, and they keep coming and going. I'm like, are you sure it's not a virus? So I think it might be a virus. Um, you do start to develop different allergies as you get older. So even though you were very young, you could be at that stage where you're developing allergies. I hope not. If I had to live like this every day, <laughs> it's just like, do you I take get... anything for it? No, cause I don't do very well with medications because of all the times that they use and they use like cough medicine and cold medicine to uh, drug me and sedate me. But yep, I do like yep. ho- homeopathic things. Like I'll do steam showers and um like i i drink like i'll brew like lemon tea and i'll just like breathe in the steam while the bag's steeping vapor rubs like uh, buy stock and vapor rub because i buy a lot of it (laughs) (laughs) but it helps and it's good because like the vapor rub and it vapor rub is actually like a really good grounding thing so it also helps me when I'm feeling like strong emotions out in public, I just, I pull it out of my purse and just like sit there and smell it. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to calm down. 
Well, that's interesting because, you know, we were talking before about how certain, you know, like bad things trigger things, but it's interesting how you've done the opposite and you've got something that has the power to soothe, right? Yeah. Like smell, like a smell. But I was going to say too, one of the things that I had learned in therapy was that um, if you're really sad or you just, you're just in a state, if you put your hand over your heart, if you just hold your hand over your heart mm -hmm. for a couple of moments, like it has the ability to soothe. And it's yeah. kind of reset the nervous system. So it's like, if I you actually, ever find yourself out in public, just put your hands over your heart. I actually just got a weighted blanket. And uh -huh. that's basically like, it's supposed to like give your body a hug and calm your nervous system. And after it got delivered, my husband put it on me and I was like, oh my God. And I fell asleep like two seconds later. He's like, <laughs> I don't know if I should wake you. <laughs> He's like, I woke up like an hour later. I'm like, what happened? He's like, you just passed out. I was like, that was like the calmest I've ever felt in God knows how long. But yeah, that's, um, they have, and it's even for like, I have a thunder, they call it thunder shirts for my dog. Um, uh -huh. And it, it's like when you have a cat or any kind of animal, if you just squeeze them like right around their heart, like it helps calm them down and like uh, the doctors tell us to do that with my son when he gets kind of crazy with his autism, but it does, it's like, it's tugging yourself, but I have a nice, big, strong husband. So I make him hug me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's the best of all. Yeah. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with the feeling your feelings or anything like that? Uh, no, I, again, I guess just to reiterate what we were saying, which is that, you know, it's a process and you can't rush it and it happens when it happens. And it's like everything else, you just have to be really intentional and try. So, you know, even if, you know, 99% of the day, you're not feeling them, if you catch yourself aware of it, like make yourself go with it. Like it's, it's just being aware moment by moment as much as you can. Yeah. And gradually you'll just build your threshold and your tolerance and your ability to identify them. Yeah. And I always tell people like, if you're feeling overwhelmed, like stop thinking so far into the future. Like if you're going on a big trip in three days, like, don't think about that. Think about what you need to get done today. And if that's too anxious, then think about what you need to get done in like the next hour. Like, even if you have to bring it down to 10 seconds and go 10 seconds at a time, it just makes it so much easier and less overwhelming. So I think that plays like a big part in it too, is people just, they overwhelm themselves because like they see too far into the future and it's like, they want that end goal. And it's like, you can't just jump to the end goal and not being able to is making everything along the line worse. I agree. I agree. So one of the things I started doing too, you know, when I was exploring all these other things is I started meditating and I actually do still meditate every day and it's been, seven or eight years that I meditate. And the, the thing about meditation is meditation is all about now. It's about yeah. being present. And I think, you know, when I run, running was another one of those things that I had started doing and I, I love to run. And when I was running, it's like, I had to really be intentional about um, running the mile I'm in, which means I'm not looking at what's before me and I'm not thinking about what's behind me. It's just now. Mm -hmm. And if I actually had used to get massages from this woman who would say to me, she was like, there's no yesterday and there's no tomorrow. There's only now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I try to remind myself of that all the time. It's only about now, this moment, this moment is what matters. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And it's something that um, I have to do all the time because it's, I mean, running a household and trying to work appointments around my husband. It's like I got my color-coded calendar and I'm just like... (laughs) And it's like, I have it synced on my husband's phone and I have to have like certain things that have alarms like a day before some that have to be three days before some 20 minutes. And my husband's just like, do you think you might possibly be over-organizing? I'm like, no, but see, you've stopped being so forgetful all the time. So there is a method to my madness. (laughs) But it is, it's, I mean, I agree. Like there is no tomorrow. It's like, there is, you know, it's going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we don't, you know, so I know what is going to happen in 10 minutes. My kid's going to come in and try to interrupt us again. (laughs) And like, he just texted me that his dad forgot to feed his fish. Like that couldn't wait, (laughs) but it's like (laughs) tomorrow. I mean, that's what's important. Yeah. But it's like tomorrow there could be like a thousand things that go wrong, but there also could be instead a thousand things that go right. So it's like, um, I can't remember how the facilitator at the support group said it was just like, even bored is just being anxious about not knowing what to do next. So it's just like a lot of it's just like around anxiety. So so I try not to worry about things. And I mean, the only thing I do is the night before my husband got me MLB TV so I can watch all the baseball games. So the night before I look at what games are the next day and schedule out my day. And then he asked me, he's like, are you going to be watching baseball every day for the next six months? I'm like, why did we spend $115 on this package if I wasn't going to do it every day for six months? <laughs> but it's like plan- planning's one thing, but it's like, healing you can't try to figure out how healed you're going to be the next day because you don't know and it's like um when galay maxwell was arrested it there was nothing leading up to it it just like bam happened and it just like threw me through the roof i was like oh my god and then even when she got convicted i was driving to go get some more turtles and my friend just said five out of six i'm like that's a really weird way to rate a book Cause I was suggesting books to a lot of people and she's like, no, she got convicted on five out of six. I'm like, she got convicted. I was like, what? I didn't even know the jury had come back. Like it was late at night and everything, but it's just like, you have those things that just like hit you out of nowhere, but it's like, you can't worry about it the day before because you don't know what's going to happen until it does, but you can build up your skills on how to, cope with it when it happens and i guess like you use emdr i do cognitive behavior therapy with my therapist to like rewire how my brain thinks because it's all sorts of weird but it's like not weird it's just it's adaptive based on what happened right like that's everything that we do is adaptive to help you get through whatever it is that's happening and when olive got sick so olive actually got sick she got very sick 19 months before she died. So she did pretty good that she lasted so long. But when she got sick and, you know, she was in the hospital and I was like, holy shit, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was terrified. I was just terrified. And I really did have to constantly remind myself, 
if right now is good, hang on with both hands because I yeah. don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's, you know, and I, I feel like to meditation when I first started it, what was so interesting about it is that I realized, and I was a very controlling kind of person, right? Because I didn't want any ambiguity in my day. I wanted to know exactly what was happening and I was going to plan for it and I was going to anticipate it and it's going to be great. And I think, you know, I realized that because I was never present, I was either always worrying about what could be, which may or may not ever come to pass to mm -hmm. your point, or ruminating in the, in the past. I tend to do that a lot. I was more future looking than past looking, but it's like whether you're constantly looking behind you or constantly looking ahead of you, you're not happy with where you are now. And the goal yeah. is to, to be present with where you are now. And again, if it's good at the moment or even okay at the moment, hang on with both hands, just experience it. And you know what? If it's going to suck in two minutes, you worry about it if and when it comes to pass. Mm -hmm. And to your point about not getting overwhelmed, yeah, it's like you can't plan where you're going to be in six months or a year or two years because you know what? Even if you do that, and, it, and again, I think I used to do that a lot. When the reality comes to it and that moment comes, I never felt the way I thought I was going to feel. Like yeah. everything that I tried to anticipate, I didn't feel any which way about it the way that I thought I might. Oh yeah. So it's just a big waste of time. <laughs> well, I have, I call it my grounding kit and it's like, um, like a little clutch type thing. And I have the vapor rub in it. I have peppermints. I, um, I got like a little, uh, swatch of like fleece, um, fabric from Joanne's and I have, I always carry my AirPods on me and it's like, that way it's like, I'm prepared if something hits when I'm out in public and I get anxious, I can just pop in my AirPods and rub the blanket and just like completely ground myself. I do have to work on not singing Justin Bieber out loud in Walmart because it causes a little bit of a scene, but <laughs> it's- You're in Walmart, but, everything goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is very true. But it's, it's one thing to be prepared for something to happen, but it's completely different to completely expect it to happen. Because when you expect it, you create so much anxiety and so much emotions in yourself. It's like you almost create it. It's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, Ghislaine got sentenced on the 28th and I unfortunately started smoking after she got convicted. I, I told my husband not to get the good flavored cigarettes, but he did anyways. But I'm like, you know, I'm just going to be realistic. If she gets off light, I'm going to be devastated and it's going to be so horrible and I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to want to smoke. If she gets like really hard sentence, it's going to terrify me probably. So I'm like, let's just aim to quit after the after the sentencing trial so it's like it's okay to be prepared it's okay to think hey these emotions may come up but it's I feel like a lot of people they think that they're gonna have a panic attack like I know yes, I had yes. I have a lot of dental work that I need to get done and I had an appointment um last week and I ended up canceling it because I just got like physically sick I, I even got a fever from my anxiety which has never happened but my husband said he's like you know I have to go to work afterwards let's do it on a day I don't have work because I think you're putting too much pressure on yourself like afterwards if you have flashbacks or panic attacks you can't 
because you'll be alone with our son. So he's like, if it's a day that I don't have to work, you're not going to feel as pressured to keep it together. And I was like, when did you get smart? <laughs> like, that, yeah, exactly. Why does well, that make so much sense? So I, 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 it's so fascinating to me that you said that about the, the dentist because the dentist had been a very big trigger for me. Yeah. And I had never had a panic attack until I had, I had a very hardcore hard candy habit. And I always had hard candies in my mouth, which is basically bathing your teeth in sugar. Mm -hmm. And so I go to my dentist and I have like five teeth with cracked or missing fillings and it's going to be a nightmare. And, you know, up to this point, I suffer in silence, right? Like this is what we do. We suffer in silence and just get yeah. through it and rip the armrest. And it's like hellacious and you, you flee and you're done until you have to go back. And she had worked on my teeth and whatever. And she, I was there for hours. She didn't finish them all. I had to go back for a follow-up appointment. And I'm at the follow-up appointment and I just started freaking out. Mm. I started shaking. I started crying. I was like, and sh we both thought I had a reaction to the anesthesia because she had said she gave me twice as much. Yeah. And so we take a little break and I go into the bathroom and it was so interesting because I thought I looked so fragile, which is never how I have seen myself. And all of a sudden it hit me. It was my stepfather all over again. And I've yeah. never really had a reaction like that. And when I finally did see my shrink and I told her, she was like, you know what? You had a panic attack and you were back in that time. You were reliving it all. And she had told me, she was like, you know, people that are sexually abused, a fear of the dentist is very common because mm. it's so invasive. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, my big thing. And you're thing, trapped too. Cause like, but see, and it's like a double whammy for me because my father owned a building that had a dental office in it so he would take me there um for a lot of sales so it's like for the majority of my life when i was brought to a dentist it was to be trafficked but it's like the dentist office my chiropractor who's like very i'm very close with he actually suggested him it's a friend of his fiance's might be his wife they're getting married this month but they're hiding it from me when it's gonna be um they don't want me crashing the wedding i, I guess, guess. <laughs> i think i should be invited but whatever but um they're great because i i told them like what my problems is like are and so we've worked out like a system like if i tap the dental hygienist arm one time i just need a second just to get catch my breath if it's twice i need just everything taken out of my mouth so i can sit up and if it's three times and she needs to go get my husband. So it's, and it's great that they're willing to work with me because it's like, there are some places that I go, like the ER is a huge trigger for me. And it's like the doctors, they're so quick. They're dealing with so much. They don't have time to cater to my anxiety, but the dentist, I mean, and they give me at my dentist office, they give a bottle of wine when you're a good girl. I was like, wow. Wow. I went for my consultation and they were like, what kind of wine do you want? I'm like, I get wine. I was like, <laughs> I would hope it's a dentist. It's white wine. Um, it was, it was Moscato, yeah. which is yeah. like my favorite. Your teeth. Um, but you know, so that's interesting that you say that too, because my shrink was always about, she always wanted me to tell my dentist. And I was like, I'm not telling my dentist, but I didn't tell anybody. So me telling my dentist was out of the question, but my dentist is fantastic. And my dentist had said to me at one point, because it became what I was able to say to my dentist was that 
being here makes me afraid. And she was like, you know what, if you can just tell me what you're afraid of, I could help you. And she's like, yeah. you know, the worst is when I know how anxious my patients are, but I don't know why. So I can't help them. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, she told me 20% of her patients have severe dental anxiety. So it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of people. And she said she has people who run right out of the chair. So my dentist still doesn't know my story, but she would say to me, what are you afraid of? And my big fear was that she's going to break other teeth, that the tooth she's working on is going to break or crack or somehow mm. come out and it's going to make it worse. Like that was always my thing. And she would, you know, she would even say to me, you know what? That's not going to happen. If something breaks, it was meant to break. It's good that it's happening now so I can handle it, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she yeah. would, and she would say to me, well, like what's helpful for you. And, and I was like, for me, cause I'm so goal oriented. I was like, <laughs> tell me when we're 25% of the way done or 50% of the way done. So I can gauge where we are in the process instead of it just feeling endless because yeah. that's the problem. Like when's it going to end? And I think that's the big thing as children for me, for you, for everybody with trauma, when's it going to end? Never. Right. That's and it's the like, feeling. it's never going to end. And it's, and that's what I talked to them about. I said to help my anxiety, like, tell me what you're doing. Like say, I'm going to be going into your mouth now I'm done. Like, just keep me in the know. So I'm not just sitting here with like a thousand things running, running through my head. But I'm like, I kind of have like a joking personality. So I was like joking with the dentist and I quickly came to realize that my chiropractor gave him a lot of information about me. Like I was like, Hey, my husband and I are renewing our nows, renewing our vows. Do you know of any like wedding like venues? He's like, I was directly told not to tell you where the wedding was. I'm like, what? He told you. That? <laughs> so it's like, I, I feel safe with him. It's just, the point I'm at right now is I have to be in the chair this next time. And I'm having a lot of extractions. Um, so it's like, that's where my anxiety is, is during the consultation, they didn't force me to sit in the chair. They stayed away from me unless I gave permission for them to come closer. But it's like this time they're going to be surrounding me. And, but it's like, I like the way the dentist said it. Cause like we have an Oculus and you can download Netflix and watch movies so I said, like, can I use the Oculus? So that way I'm just trapped in virtual reality. I'll only watch movies. And instead of saying like the Oculus will get in my way, he's like, I think I'll get in the way of your Oculus. And it's like, it just meant so much. Cause I'm like, okay, he's not sitting here controlling me. He's just like, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like he was controlling. It was like, okay, you're going to use this to help you. And I think I'm going to interfere with that. So let's work out another way. And no, they won't let me stream Netflix on the TV in the room because apparently it goes to all the rooms. So I have to do audiobooks. But well, and I can say that was one of my therapist suggestions early on too, is that I used to have kind of the same MO and, and again, I'm older. So when this happened was a while ago, but I used to always bring a magazine and I would read a magazine. It was always a news magazine, which was kind of like intense and all the rest of it. And she was like, listen to the most soothing music you have on your iPod again, when iPods were around. And I did, I listened to Anya, you know what I mean? And because yeah. it was like, 
the most soothing thing I had. And it was amazing what a difference it made. And the other tip I will give you that was life-changing for me and will I'm sure work for you too, because you have your furry babies that you love. My dentist, uh, my dentist, my therapist used to tell me, she was like, imagine something pleasurable and tactile. Imagine yourself petting Olive because your brain cannot think about something horrible and something wonderful at the same time. Yeah. That's true. And so it really was so comforting. I would just immediately get myself in that chair and think about Olive and think about me curled up on the floor with her and patting her and stroking her little whiskers or whatever. And it was incredibly soothing. I think the other patients are going to laugh because I'm going to be in with my weighted blanket. I have my Bigfoot stuffed animal because I'm like obsessed with Bigfoot. And they're probably going to be like, what is this woman like five? They're just bringing a stuffed animal to the dentist. But you know what? But it's better than being he's very after. Yeah, but he's very furry. And that's why I'm going to bring him so I can kind of like pet him and, you know, pretend he's my dog. But it's like I, I usually would bring my service dog, but he's also trained if I panic to push people away from me. So I'm like, I don't want him to do something to the dentist or like try to lick me when my mouth is stuck open because he has boundary issues a little bit <laughs> but well, I'm guessing, and I didn't know this either um and I'm not going to change dentists because I've been with mine for a long time and I really like her but um I had to have a tooth extracted last year which was not not fun but I did love the oral surgeon who did it and he was great and he told me he works in a dental office and again I'm in New York City where their dental office has a dog and the dog sits in people's laps that are anxious. So like, it is yeah. amazing. If you have dental phobias, whatever your phobias are, there's a doctor or a dentist who, <laughs> yeah. who like has a dog in their office, like that you can find them, which is amazing. Yeah. And it was like, when I was talking with the dental hygienist and she's like, we understand your anxiety. And I was, I didn't want to sit in the chair. And I was like, I was raped in a dentist chair. That's what's really hard. She's like, we not, oh my God, I never thought that was even something that was possible. She's like, I've, I've had so many people anxious and they just keep saying, I need to get out of this chair. I wonder if that's what happens. I'm like, I mean, it's, I don't know how common it is. So they don't have like a statistic on it, but it is, it, it's good, you know, because like we were saying, when you feel your feelings, when you go to places that you know you're going to be anxious, you can talk to them about it. Like, I hate CT scans. And they always say the same thing. Oh, it's not like an MRI. It's really quick. And I'm like, it's a big machine that if it falls on me, I will be crushed. So it's like, I always tell them, like, when I say I'm done, I have gone past my breaking point by like a bazillion. You have to take me out immediately. And that's what I said to the dentist too. Like, if I ever tell you, like, I'm done, I can't do any more. We've got to stop. It's because I'm just past my breaking point. But getting to the point of realizing my anxiety, my triggers, my feelings and everything got me to the point where it's like, I can tell people things now. And I'm like, this is what I need from you. And that'll make everything go smoother. Exactly, exactly. And I was going to say too, and, you know, again, we're both, fortunate that we were able to get to a point where we can feel our feelings and, and we know. And I think, again, there's an awful lot of people that the thought of telling somebody what's going on for them is unfathomable. 
Mm-hmm. Right. It has been for me for a, most of my life, unfathomable. But even if you can just say something as little as I'm anxious, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. just let them, know. I'm anxious. I'm afraid, whatever it is. You don't have to go into why you don't have to go into how you're feeling. Just let them know there's something going on for you so that they yeah. can at least sensitive to you because I think so many people, you, me, everybody like us, you know, you just put on a front that it's mm-hmm. all fine and you're dying inside. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, they, they have absolutely no idea. You know, the persona you project can be so different from what you feel inside. And if you're just very good at putting on this mask, they don't know. So if there is a way that you can just, again, clue someone in, I'm anxious, that's it. I'm anxious. Just let them know so that they can just be sensitive to you to make sure that they're picking up on any signals that you're sending that you may not even be aware of. Yeah, because like the tapping thing that we worked out, that was actually her idea, not mine. She's like, Mm -hmm. you're going to have stuff in your mouth. You're not going to be able to talk, but I'm going to be close enough to you. So like, I'm going to obviously have to be aware of where I'm touching, (laughs) but yeah. yeah. Um, she's like let's work out a system so this way you don't have to talk and you if you start to feel yourself panicking like we can just stop so you can do whatever you have to do to calm yourself but yes it's like it took a while because I mean even and this was back in 09 right after I escaped I get very nervous when I have IV fluids put into me because that was one of the things they would have like IV drugs injected into my IV is what I was trafficked sometimes. So it was like, they gave me fluids. I had swine flu. I needed it. My fever was like 107. And I was like, do you mind if I look at the bag? And she's like, no, not at all. And I tried peeling the label off. She's like, you okay? And I was just like, yeah, I just, I had an issue with people that were putting stuff in the saline bags and hiding them. And she's like, Oh, she's like, I'll, she's like, put a little bit on her finger. She's like, you can smell it. It's just like, it's just saline. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you for doing that. <laughs> I was like, But it was, it was hard to voice myself. Cause it's like, there is a stigma with mental illness and mental disorders or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, you're always afraid that someone's going to think differently of you. And I think that adds to it too, because you're not used to expressing yourself and then you're worried that people are going to react negatively because so many did in the past. It's just like, it's just a whole big bundle of mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of getting a little long here, so I was going to end it. Thank you so much for coming back on. I love having you on anytime you want to come back on, just message me. I am down. <laughs> Thank you. um, I so appreciate it. It's always such, you know, it's always so good and informative to talk to you, Kelly. And I do certainly appreciate that you make me so welcome. So thank you. Is there a podcast? And again, check out my girl on my page. Is there a podcast in your future by any chance? (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I'll be your number one fan. (laughs) I know my husband just absolutely adores you. He said he's listened to your episode so many times. He's like, it's just so great. I was like, how many times have you listened to my episodes more than once? He's like, all the time. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. And to all my listeners, thank you so much for welcoming Patty back. And thank you for all the continued love and support. It means the world to me. 
and it's just absolutely amazing. And I hope y'all have a really wonderful day, week, summer, whatever. And I'll talk with y'all soon. Have a good one.